Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. It always uh, intrigues me when I see, especially if we're going through a book of the Bible and then uh, we come across a day like today when we're honoring our mothers and uh, trying to incorporate a few things into our gathering to, to honor them and still in the midst of also honoring Christ and, and going through our Bible study, the, the different uh, connections with the Scripture we're on and the day we're on. It's interesting. You'll probably see some... Uh, ironic connections throughout our text today with Mother's Day. But as we look at this last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus has been teaching. This is one of his, if not the longest teaching that we have recorded, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, which uh, comprises the Sermon on the Mount. And this last part, he's already said quite a lot and addressed uh, a number of issues that he's teaching these these multitudes of people. And so today, we get to uh, this passage, the first 12 verses of chapter 7, which includes one of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood scriptures, perhaps in the New Testament. And we'll, we'll hit it right at the very beginning of this passage today. Uh, I don't want to concentrate just on that, because there's several other things here that we need to see. But I just want to introduce the text with... This question, and this is something for us to consider just uh, before we read the text. And, and don't answer out loud, just consider. If it's not illegal, does it even matter if it's right? Now let me, let me clarify. Sometimes an action may be completely legal that does not mean it's the right thing to do. you understand what I'm saying? So now let me revisit the first question. If it's not illegal, does it still matter if it's right? See, it's important to remember this, especially as we approach this particular passage of Scripture. Jesus is still speaking. He's teaching. Here's the important point. The human legal system does not set the standard for right and wrong. God does. So let's not forget that. God is the supreme lawgiver. Okay? Now our justice system, at least in its inception, tried to pattern after that. Still today, if you go to the halls of the Supreme Court of the United States of America, you will see etched in stone the Ten Commandments. Um, it, there's been a movement over the years to try to remove those, even though it was the foundation for our sense of right and wrong. God is our lawgiver. God sets the standard for what's right and wrong. And that applies to this text and every other text we'll ever study. God is our supreme authority. With that in mind, let me read the first 12 verses of chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel. 
and the text will be on the screen for you to follow if you'd like. Jesus says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Father, I pray that with this word before us today, that You will give us understanding by Your Spirit and that You would also empower our obedience by Your Spirit all to the end that You will be glorified and we will learn more about You and what You call us to do. In Jesus' name, Amen. This text right here is so interesting to me because there's four different concepts in these 12 verses, and they're pretty straightforward, but a couple of them require a little bit more in-depth discussion. And so we're just going to go through each, each one of these four, and um, hopefully there'll be some clarity along the way. The first thing that Jesus says here in the first five verses is, Know your place. Know your place. And he starts off with this first verse. This is the one I was telling you is most misinterpreted, most misunderstood. Here's what people say. In fact, I've seen it even, I've seen it on tattoos, I've seen it on bumper stickers, I've seen it on billboards. Here's what it says. Only God can judge me. Have you seen it? You know what that means? Let me interpret. Leave me alone and let me sin in peace. That's what that means. Okay? That's all that means. Because that is not what the Bible says. Because if you read the Scriptures and you don't just read one verse and then close the book, you read the context of what's happening, that is not at all what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't judge. He's saying you better be careful. You better be careful because the same standard you apply to someone else, that standard is applied to yourself. Okay? 
So it's not that we, we don't judge. It's not that we don't observe and, and make judgments. Think about uh, judgments and understand it as the decisions or conclusions. It's the same thing. But it's, it's not that we don't do that. It's just we have to be very careful that we're not uh, setting up a double standard. Because that's what most often happens, right? We judge. I got the, I'm, I'm stealing this line. This was from uh, the, the movie, the Christian movie. It's called Facing the Giants. And at one point, a coach looked at one of the students who was, had a problem with his father. They had a bad relationship. And he said, you can't judge your father by his actions, but then judge yourself by your intentions. Well, I meant to do that. I, wouldn't have, I didn't do that on purpose. Well, so? You're, you're judging your father by exactly what he does, not giving any account to what he was thinking or what he meant to do. But you're, judging, you're giving yourself the benefit of the doubt, right? And that's what we do. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt every time. That's why we have to be very careful when we judge. You will be judged by God in the same way you judge others. You will be measured by God the way you measure others. So if we're quick to call somebody else to account, guess what we're doing? We're inviting God to call us to account. And I don't really know we want to do that. Right? I'm not standing in line, God, please judge me. Please pick apart my life and tell me everything I'm doing wrong. I don't want that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a glutton for punishment. But here's the question. Do we really want the standard of God's justice to be applied to us in the same way we apply it to other people? Is that really what we want? Because that would be fair. That would be equitable. Right? Same standard for everybody. Right? Who's the ultimate lawgiver? It's God. So His standard is uniform. It applies to everyone the same. So Jesus says in verse 5, you're a hypocrite. If you do that, and He uses that analogy, uh, the speck in your brother's eye, but you got the log in your own eye, right? So you can't even see past your own sin to, to nitpick somebody else's sin. And by the way, this is especially uh, visible in relationships, especially like husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend relationships. It's so easy to see because I can see everything about my wife that she's doing wrong way before I can see all the things I'm doing wrong. And vice versa. She can see all the stuff I'm doing wrong before she can take stock of what she's doing wrong. Because that's, that's just how we operate because we have this curse of sin that clouds our judgment. Right? So we, we don't see things uh, objectively like we should. And, and we're just not capable of doing that. We look at someone else's sin and ignore our own sin. Eric Geiger wrote this great book called Transformational Discipleship. And, and he, he made this statement. We tend to be much more frustrated with the sin we see in others than the sin in our own lives. Isn't that interesting? It's like... Why wouldn't we be frustrated with our own actions? And it's, uh, just to be honest, I, I'm that way sometimes. And if you're by yourself sometimes uh, and nobody else is listening, sometimes you make a statement or think, have a, think, uh, have a, uh, a thinking little um, 
a, a, a train of thought here where you're just you're you're thinking these things. You may not say it out loud, but uh, I'll like especially if I'm working on a project and it's not going like I want it to go, which is all the time. Uh, and I'm why is this happening to me? Or why am I you know why am I doing? Why am I saying that? Or why am I acting this way? You know, it's like I'm I'm talking to myself, but I'm not really. But I just like I don't understand why I get frustrated with things. But if I'm, I've told you this story a hundred times, if I'm on the interstate and I'm driving, I'm not going to say a thing about how I'm driving, but I'm going to say everything about how everybody else is driving, right? Especially the people that are driving in the left lane and going, and going the speed limit. You don't, if you're going in the speed limit, you get in the right lane, okay? It's a public service announcement. The left lane is for passing and for breaking the speed limit. All right? Let's just put that out there. The right lane is for your law-abiding citizens. So if you're on a four-lane highway and you're not exceeding the speed limit, stay to the right. It's actually a law. There's actually signs, slower traffic, keep right. But it's funny because slower traffic just means people that are obeying the law. So, yeah, the left, the left lane is for crime. The right lane is for... You, all right? So let's just get that out there. But see, I don't, I don't see that in myself. All those things that I do wrong. I just see everybody else. Why are they acting that way? When I need to go stand in front of the mirror with a notepad and make a list of all the things I'm doing wrong. So Jesus is drawing attention to that part of us. This odd characteristic of humanity which we're oblivious to ourself, but we're almost arrogant in our presumption about others. That's a shame. It just it highlights our sinfulness. So we have to know our place and ask God to give us grace to practice what we preach. Whatever judgment and standard and measure we use, it's going to be applied to us. Know your place. Number two, know your possession. Now this one verse, verse 6, is often uh, uh, not understood. Maybe just it's harder to understand. The gospel of Christ is our most prized, most holy possession. Okay, so when we read verse 6, don't give what's holy to dogs, don't throw your your pearls before swine or they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Here's what we're talking about. We offer the gospel indiscriminately to everybody. The gospel's for everybody. So we don't pick and choose, well, I'm going to share the gospel with them but not with them. We don't do that. We're not supposed to do that. Okay? Everybody gets the gospel. End of story. Everybody gets the gospel. But we sometimes want to just continue on and on and share and preach toward the, the face of one who is obstinate in their rejection. In other words, um, over and over and over and over, we try to have these conversations. We try to talk to pe- people about Jesus, and they continually reject us. But we're just kind of, we're so compelled, we want to just keep, I really want this person to understand, I really want them to hear the truth. And so we keep on and on and on. But you know, when we do that, we might be neglecting other people 
who are receptive but who have not heard. And so Jesus is saying we're not called on to keep offering the gospel to those who continue to reject it with contempt. William Hendrickson wrote a very nice um, explanation of this in his commentary. He said, Staying on and on in the company of those who ridicule the Christian religion is not fair to other fields that are waiting to be served, especially in view of the fact that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We can get so wrapped up, and I want this person to get saved. And yes, we want to pray for them. We want God to change their hearts. Absolutely. But if they've heard the gospel, the gospel's not changing. We're not offering them new information. We need to pray for God to work on their hearts. And in the meantime, we can go tell other people who haven't heard. Does that make sense? We need to know our possession. Number three, know your prayers. Know your prayers. In verse 7, down to verse 11, familiar, somewhat familiar text, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and it will be opened to you. These are all present, imperatives, continual action, keep on, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, praying. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then Jesus gives this analogy. We're sinners, but we still know how to be good to our children. Right? We still know how to give them good gifts. Today is my oldest daughter's birthday. And, you know, we just want, we want things to be great for her. We want to give her stuff. You know, not everything she wants, but we want to give her stuff. And so we're th- our thoughts are occupied with what will make her happy. What will make her enjoy the day. You know, how can we celebrate her? And if I am sinful, and, and Jesus, look at, look at the text. Look at the text. This is verse 11. He calls us evil, not sinful. He calls us evil. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, if we can do that, how much more will God do for us? See, this right here, this is a huge, huge point right here. Let me, let me show you this quote from D.A. Carson. This is really good. He says, Sadly, many of God's children labor under this delusion that their Heavenly Father extracts some malicious glee out of watching His children squirm now and then. This really kind of opened up my eyes to something, and I want to share it with you. I believe many times we do not fully understand the character of God. And not just His character, but the difference in His character and ours. And here's what I mean by that. This, this text right here, verse 11. Jesus says, if we are evil and we still know how to give, give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in Heaven do for us? Well, if we think, 
under this quote really just opened my eyes. If we think for a minute that God is sitting up in heaven just looking down at us when we're struggling with a difficult situation or difficult circumstance, and He's just looking down at us saying, yeah, well, I mean, you kind of deserve that. I mean, you remember what you did last week? Remember what you said to that person? You know, so it's, it's not like... See, God is not one of us. And, and we forget that sometimes. We sometimes see God through a lens, the same lens we look at other people. God's not a sinner. We're sinners. So we might act that way toward other people, but God never does. God will never look at you and say, well, you know, serves you right. You were stupid. You shouldn't have done that. You know, that's not God. And thank the Lord that's not Him. God looks at us through divine eyes. And He sees His creation... And when He sees us struggling, it breaks His heart. And if we're His children, if we have trusted in Christ and received forgiveness and welcomed the salvation that He died to give us, when we're in that category, He does not delight in our suffering. He's made a way to get rid of our suffering. Jesus is not holding back on you. Okay? He's not watching you and waiting for you to get it right. He's, he's screaming as if, as if He could at us. He's screaming at us, Run to My Son! Run to Jesus! He handled all this for you. Just, just run to the cross. Don't suffer needlessly. Just go to Jesus. That's the message of Scripture. That's the message of the cross. That's the message our Father has for His children. We're, we're sinners. We're evil. We still know how to give good gifts to our children. God is so much better than we are. And if we're His children, just imagine what He longs to do for us. That's His character. But see, here's the thing about prayer and these three, ask, seek, knock, talking about praying. Here's the thing about prayer. Prayer presupposes knowledge. Prayer presupposes knowledge. We have to know the will of God, which means we need to be in the Word. Prayer also presupposes faith. Because we need to believe the will of God. Believe He is able to answer our prayers. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's who we're praying to. And, and honestly, why would if we, didn't, if we didn't believe God could do something, why would we even take time to pray? Right? Isn't that why we pray? Because we believe, at least on some level, God can do something. He's willing to do something. Prayer presupposes knowledge. It presupposes faith. But prayer also presupposes desire. That we desire the will of God. We need to want what God wants. 
And, and unfortunately, that's not always what we want. But we should. We should want what God wants. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Jesus says, Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. How much more will your Father give to you what is good to those who ask Him? Know your prayers. The last one, number four. Know the principle that kind of undergirds this whole thing. Jesus used the word therefore in this last verse. So you see all this is kind of connected. And so He says, therefore, based on these things... How are we supposed to treat people? He says, in everything, treat people or do to people, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And he says, this is the law and the prophets. This sums up all the law, all the prophets, all the teaching, the Old Testament teaching. Okay? So this is this is the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat people the way you want people to treat you. It does not say do unto others before they do unto you. Like preemptive, I'm going to get them back before they get me, so I've already got them, you know. That's not how that's not what we're looking at. We treat other people the way we would want to be treated. And this, the reasoning is this, is, this is so important. It's not so others will treat you the way you want to be treated or will be compelled to treat you the way you want to be treated. In fact, we're supposed to follow God's standard, this principle, regardless of whether or not other people follow this principle. You talk about challenging. We're supposed to treat people the way we want them to treat us, whether or not they treat us that way. That's one of the biggest challenges in the human life. I've got to treat this person with goodness and kindness, regardless of how they treat me. But you know why that's a big deal? Because it's not like we want to do. It's not the same as the earth, the culture, the world. It's not the same. So you know what happens a lot of times when you do that, when you actually live this out? If, if you live this out and someone is just hateful to you and you're kind to them in return... It may not hit them right at that moment, but you know at some point, you know what's going to happen? And they're probably going to be by themselves and reflect back on the encounter and they're probably going to be saying something like, what in the world just happened? That was weird. I wasn't expecting that. And they may not ever admit it to you. In fact, they probably won't. But somewhere in their mind and heart, they're thinking... Why did they respond like that after what I said or what I did? 
it's going to cause them to reflect on their own behavior. And they're going to be confused. Because the way of Christ confuses people. Because it's so different than the ways of the world. And that is supposed to, it's designed to be an open door for the Gospel. Because maybe, maybe, just hypothetically, maybe one day you have a difficult encounter with someone and days and weeks maybe will go by and just maybe, hypothetically, they might return to you and ask you a question. Hey, I was just wondering. You know, we had that fight the other, other week and I said this and, and then you, you didn't say anything back. I'm just wondering, what's up with that? That doesn't make any sense. And, and you know what that is? That's what we, in Christian circles, would call a, a divine encounter, a divine appointment. Let me, te- let me tell you why I didn't respond the way I felt like responding. Because Jesus didn't respond to my sin the way I deserved. He did something so unusual. He, he laid down His life and died for me. I spit in His face. I had a, a hammer in my hand. Hitting the nails. And, and He loved me. And He forgave me. So why should I not do that for everyone else? It, it opens a door for the Gospel. James Montgomery Boyce wrote these words. He said, God did not save us so we would remain in our sin. He saved us to make us like Jesus. And that means to live out this standard. Treat people the way you want people to treat you. This is a summary of God's teaching in the Old Testament. The Law and the Prophets. Just... Treat other people like you want them to treat you. It, it doesn't matter how they act. It matters because you know what? Here, here's a little detail we might have overlooked. Did you know when I stand before Jesus, you know who I'm going to answer for? Me. Not any of you. So it doesn't matter how you treat me. I'm not accountable for that. You are. It matters what I do. It matters what I say. Because I'm accountable for that. So that's why it's irrelevant of, of how we're treated. Because I'm standing before the throne of Almighty God to answer for what I do. So it matters how I respond. It matters how I treat people. Okay. Let me try and, and sum this up, maybe conclude this for us. You know, we talked about God is the, the standard. He, he's the lawgiver. So, so picture, picture a room full of, full of kids in school. Let's just say fourth grade. Okay, I've just picked that randomly. And let's say the teacher tells all the kids in the fourth grade class, hey, we're going to do some drawing, and here's what I need you to do first. I need you to take out a piece of paper and a pencil, and I need you to draw the straightest line you can down the middle of that paper. But you can't use an edge. You can't use your book or a ruler or anything like that. Just freehand, draw the straightest line you can. Okay? 
And right as she's telling him to do that, the principal knocks on the door and sticks his head and says, Hey, uh, I need to talk to you for just a second. It won't take but a second. Okay. So the teacher steps out. They're conversating in the hallway. And then, while the teacher's gone, all the kids are drawing their lines. But then you know what they're doing? They're comparing. Like, well, your line stinks. Mine's better than yours. Your line's not as straight as mine. You know, yeah, but she got the straightest line of everybody. And so they're comparing. So the teacher walks back in like two minutes later and says, all right, let me see your lines. And they're all, you know, arguing, saying, well, this one, her line's better than everybody else's. But, you know, and so here's what the teacher does. The teacher takes out a ruler and her pencil and goes to the paper of the student where everybody agrees she's got the straightest line. And the teacher takes the ruler, sets it beside that line, and draws a straight line. Now, what is discovered? Oh, that line's not as straight as I thought it was. You know why? Because we don't set the standard. We can take the straightest line we can possibly draw and think it's pretty doggone good until God comes up with the ruler of His Word and draws His line. And then we realize, uh, maybe I wasn't so good after all. See, that's, that's the difference between God's standard and man's standard. That's why we don't set the standard for right and wrong. God does. God does. Now, I'm going to close with this story from C.S. Lewis. And it, if you've never read anything by C.S. Lewis other than the Chronicles of Narnia, then I encourage you. He's got a lot of other books. Chief among them is a book called Mere Christianity. Wonderful, wonderful book. Talks about the proofs of Scripture and Christianity. Let me just share this story that he wrote in that book, Mere Christianity. He says, When I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she'd give me something which would deaden the pain for that night, let me go to sleep. But I didn't go to my mother. At least not until the pain had become very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists, I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which hadn't begun to ache. They would not just let sleeping dogs lie. If you give them an inch, they would take a mile. Now, if I may put it that way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Dozens of people may go to Him to be cured of some one particular sin which they're ashamed of or which is obviously spoiling their daily lives. Well, He'll cure it all right, but He will not stop there. That may be all you asked, but if you once call Him in, He will give you the full treatment. That is why he warned people to count the cost 
before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I'll make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that's what you're in for. Nothing less than that. You have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I will see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will never rest nor let you rest until you are literally perfect. Until my Father can say without reservation that He is well pleased with you as He said He was well pleased with me. This I can do and will do but I will not do anything less. See, sometimes we just want to go to God and just fix one little thing. That's not what He wants to do. He wants to fix all of us. He wants to do a comprehensive checkup. He wants to look in our souls, look in our hearts, and find anything at all that does not match up with Jesus. And He wants to replace it with Jesus. Sometimes we can't just pick and choose what part of us we want God to fix. We need God to fix everything. And He will. He longs to do that. We just have to go to Him. We have to go to the cross. We have to submit to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and ask for His forgiveness. And He'll gladly forgive. He'll gladly transform our hearts into hearts that please Him. That's kind of what He's in the business of doing. So where are you today? It's Mother's Day. It's a beautiful day. It's a, a beautiful time to be together in the church. It's a, a great time for families to be together. And all those things are wonderful. But where are you? Where's your heart? Where do you stand with Jesus? That's the real question that has to be answered. Do you belong to Him? Have you surrendered to Him? Are you following Him? And, and I'm going to just tell you from personal experience, I belong to Him, and I'm following Him, and I fail all the time. I stumble every day. Every day. There's not a single day that goes by. doesn't matter what I'm doing. doesn't matter where I am. doesn't matter who I'm with. There's not a single day that goes by that I don't need Jesus close to me. Not just, you know, nearby in my life somewhere. I need Jesus close every day. So... If you're not close to Jesus, 
Man, I pray today would be the day. Get close. Don't just don't just check a box. Don't just phone it in. Well, I all right, I did that. I'm good. Till next time. Get close to Jesus. He wants to get close to you. He wants to change your life. He wants to make it the best it's ever been. And that may or may not be realized on this earth, but it will be in eternity. Jesus is the best thing going. Draw close. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.